0: Hello everyone, you are listening to us here at The Communication Solution Podcast, and we are here today uh, with our team, and as usual, we are going to be talking about how to help you improve the outcomes of the individuals, organizations, and communities that you serve with a motivational interviewing evidence-based lens. And today, in particular, we have a topic that uh, I'll have Tammy cue up here. Uh, she has some experience in this world. We're gonna Yes, be she does. Very controversial in the motivational interviewing world. Yes, and it is. I'm looking forward to ask some questions about some things around this as well. So, Tammy, if you wouldn't mind, give us a little context going into what today is about, because um, it will be relating to motivational interviewing in sales. So if you would give us a little context of your experience, and uh, then we can go from there.
1: Well, so I was first introduced um, to IFIOC through my previous work um, in senior housing, and um, we started learning motivational interviewing in that industry. Um, and we started learning it from a book, which went okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but then we started doing training with Casey and the IFIOC team, and that helped tremendously. So. One of the questions that people kind of pose to me, because we talk about a concept at IFIOC pretty regularly called equipoise, so can can motivational interviewing be used in sales? Is kind of the question, Casey, and and how can we how can we use that in an ethical way to support industries? I guess you could say.
2: It- so I'll start by putting a little context around this. Actually, I haven't even worked with your company. I mean, you know this story, but the first thing out of the gate, the first thing your brain says is, no, you can't use motivation in sales. That's the first thing my brain says is, no, you can't use MI in sales. And this would be a perfect, you know, parallel to when we're talking is motivation being manipulative, that whole podcast, um, because sales at face value is you are attached to an outcome. You are selling something, you want somebody to buy something of yours. And so at face value, you would say, no, you can't use motivation in sales. And I can tell you in the world of motivational interviewing, I know it is highly frowned upon, um, even beyond that frowned upon uh, to think about motivation in sales. And so I got a call from your company (laughs) saying, hey, would you do MI training? And I said, no. Um, and then I got an email later saying, would you please consider it? And I just responded back, no, uh, <laughs> won't consider it. And, um, and the particular person, the the vice president, the, that, that you know, um, called me back again and just said, can we talk about this a little bit further? And I said, that's fine. I'm still not going to do the training. There's probably, there may be other trainers out there that will train it, but I just, I just won't train motivation for sales. And so he talked about literally about, you know, well, we bought the book i bought the book i was i'm the one who's been training them out of the book of motivational interviewing and we just decided you know we just need somebody that's an expert in motivational to provide the training would you please consider it and i just said no again and he said um would you be willing to talk to our one of our executive directors at one of our communities and i just and i was i was more exasperated i wasn't really frustrated but it's just like i just don't want to do this it just i don't feel comfortable with this and and um so I said, yeah, I'll have the conversation. I don't think it's going to change anything. And I knew that there's going to be one question that I asked. There's only one question I really cared about. And so he sets up this conference call with the executive director of one of the communities and, and and you know, kind of laid the groundwork, you know, this is why we want to use MI. We're trying to get Casey to do the training, and and uh, but he's just kind of not interested in it. And I said, well, you know, I really only have one question, but I don't know if It just depends on how transparent you can be about the answer. And so I asked the executive director, I said, so if your entire sales force was measurably skilled at motivation and they were using it as its designed, and you see a significant drop in your sales, are you going to be okay with that? And his response was, absolutely. If there are older adults that don't belong in our communities, if that's not where they belong, we don't, they shouldn't be here. They need to be in a different level of care they need to be in their own homes but part of the reason why we shift from sales to calling ourselves retirement counselors is we really want to help people find the best fit for themselves <coughs> excuse me so that for me was at least it opened up the conversation because part of what we talked about that my is how attached are you to the outcome
0: yeah
2: i think it is nearly mathematically impossible to, for somebody in sales to be detached from the outcome. Um, so that's how I continued to ease into the conversations. Um, and even the pilot training that I did was they took kind of the super users and Tammy was one of the super users who was obsessed with motivational interviewing, who genuinely wanted to learn the model. Irrespective of her role, like she wanted to learn for a role, but kind of irrespective it's like I, I like this model I'm really fascinated with it. And so I got to do a pilot training with um, the retirement counselors um, for that organization, and it was very growthful. There's I learned culturally it was different to train people in sales, um, which and it's and this is just from my experience. So there's some some bias and stereotype involved, but in training people in healthcare, law enforcement, social work, behavioral health, um, I'd never shown up for a training where a everybody was on time and everybody looked like they'd been injected with caffeine because their eyes were wide awake and they were ready to learn. They were good little students all sitting up straight, eager, smiling, shiny. And it's like, I have never trained in all these years. I've never trained a group that was so on the edge of their seats, ready to absorb whatever I was going to talk about. Like they were like first year grad students. It was crazy. I just had never had that experience before. So that was interesting. Just a cultural difference. Yep. And it took their leadership to continue to reinforce we really want to be respectful of older adults who are making really complex decisions. And the more that I heard that, the more it helped shift my thinking into if your if your sole purpose as a retirement counselor is to help this person resolve their ambivalence so their behavior aligns with their values and their goals, then that then then am I has a place potentially in these conversations mm-hmm. so for me it started to change the conversation because i'll still say does MI work with sales i will still say no mm-hmm. because sales is my agenda to get you to buy something mm-hmm. um, of mine if you're looking at motivation to help somebody resolve their ambivalence and make a decision that's in their best interest that helps them be the person they want to be then i think that's a valid mi based conversation so it I think it continues to push that particular company um, further and further because on paper, I think they genuinely continue wanna do that. I think that is their belief system. Um, The other thing that was really helpful, I think rounds out the narrative as well too, that made it easier for me to go fully into helping them understand the construct was I listened to the owner of the company um, tell his story about why he started. It wasn't even a field that he was part of, but the reason why he started the company was because the last several years of his parents' life, they didn't get to live together. They'd been together for over 50 years. One had memory care issues, one did not, and they couldn't even live in the same community.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and so for the last couple of years of their lives, his parents didn't even get to live together and they loved each other dearly, mm-hmm. um, but the communities wouldn't allow it. And so he just felt that was such a injustice that two people who had married forever couldn't even be in the same, couldn't even live in the same home or in the same community because they had different needs. Yeah. And so I just thought philosophically, that's just trying to help people find the right, you know, the right fit for their family or for their, for their loved ones. And, and for me, there was just such a depth of values-driven perspective in it. And the thing that was, where there was a gap is between when you're hiring people to sell something, they are highly trained. You give me a number, you give me an outcome, you give me a, you know, where am I supposed to be on the thermometer? And I will make it happen. Yeah. Um, so, what was fascinating in doing the training is seeing the just natural human social worker come out in these retirement counselors who had been hired to do sales, is that I still remember several, one specifically, one who just said, "This is what I've always wanted to do. I absolutely am entranced with older adults. I, I love working with older adults. I, I have passion for working with older adults and compassion and the fact that I don't have to sell them anything really makes me happy. For me to be able to sit down and transparent conversation about their fears, their anxiety, what are their values and and help them weed through their own thought process so they can make an informed choice about where they're at right now and do they feel safe and comfortable. And if they choose not to, and I know that they have informed choice, to know my company supports that just makes me feel like I would just wanna work more. I just wanna work with more older people. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so again, I'm going to keep going back to my reset button of do you use MI in sales? I would say, no, I'll Mm -hmm. still say, no, you're not, that you, that MI is not for sales because you are attached to an outcome, but can it help individuals resolve their ambivalence if you can detach from their outcome, um, and detach from your own outcome in terms of the sales piece of it, then I think there is a place for really smart, effective communication.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, So, I think the thing where there's a lot of gray area that I can distinguish from my own brain in motivational ring is I know that a lot of people that I was training said, oh, we learned some of these concepts in relationship sales. Um, but relationship sales still has an element of manipulation or when we talk about not the evil salesperson manipulation, but there's an element of build relationships so we can learn what their what their needs are and so we can sell them a product how it meets their needs. Um, and so being able to walk that tightrope and see where some of the micro skills can be similar, but functionally that will not score as motivational interviewing. And that was a company that actually actively chose to submit audio tapes because they wanted to be proficient at motivational interviewing, not proficient at sales. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a very values-driven decision, not a sales-driven decision.
1: So Casey, would you say not motivational interviewing is super useful in sales, but some of the micro skills that you learn in motivational interviewing can be useful in sales?
2: Oh, yeah, and I think that's what a lot of people have adopted or um, adapted because they look at the efficiency, they look at the data of motivational interviewing, and they're like, okay, we want this for our sales force, and and the thing that's caused me a lot of ethical dilemma is, ironically, yes, there is around the sales side of it about how do you navigate that as a somebody who tries to train and consult on that, but Then what I found that was kind of a jagged pill to swallow is it wasn't wildly different than working in the addiction field or working like when I was doing training for corrections. They want to use motivational ring to control other people. I mean, that's where the term motivational manipulation came up in one of my trainings that somebody brought up is, oh, we learned this motivational ring already, but we call it motivational manipulation. It's how do we leverage their thought process and get them to do what we need them to do. And that just triggered something inside of me of, well, what's the difference between that and sales other than it's not motivational interviewing, but that's what they've been trained on. Yeah. So, and and hospitals, if they want training on motivational, because they want better outcomes, because they want people to take their medication, they want people to do, which is you're still trying to push something about your agenda, which for me drifts significantly away from what the intention of motivational thing is.
1: Yeah, instead of being focused on they're happier and healthier, we're focused on the outcome we need to get. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. in their
2: best interest. Yeah. And that's how that's how we always justify it. So I don't care if I'm talking about senior living, if we're talking about the addiction world, well, this, these people really do need to, to reduce their use because they're having an impact on their family and their own health. So we need to find ways to get them into treatment more effectively. Let's use motivational interviewing. It's like, what's the difference between that and we need to help this older adult get out of their home where they're not safe and they're falling and they're at risk and they're going to hospitalize. Let's get them in a safer community.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, It's now it's just a matter of where our funding stream comes from and and what's in it for us. Well, to me, that's just starting to split hairs on an ethical level. Yeah. Fundamentally, you're still trying to get somebody to do what you want them to do, which is not motivational interviewing. Yeah. My estimation of it or my understanding of it.
1: Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if you're if someone's if you have your agenda that you're working towards, even if it is in their best interest to not necessarily do drugs. At the end of the day, it is not your life to decide that you should not do drugs anymore because that is not your life. That is their life. And they ultimately have to decide that. This is it. So, so Casey, you're kind of saying that, and if I'm understanding correctly, that sales, so motivational interviewing for any outcome other than the individuals, whether that's sales, whether that's addiction, whether that, you know, that is some form of not am
0: i <laughs>
2: exactly and and tammy to make it even i think that's a great way to put it out there and the other thing that for me that links into it and we, we mentioned this multiple times when we developed the mica the Motivational and competency assessment the one of the first intentions that was so critical in my brain was is this process supporting this person's autonomy and their freedom to choose mm-hmm. that's a measurement we have a rubric specifically to measure is that the way the communication is coming across that yeah. we are supporting their autonomy and their freedom to choose because it is their life. And if that is not your intention, it is not going to taste like or measure as close to motivational interviewing. Mm-hmm. And so I don't care if it's a physician. I don't care if it's an oncologist. I don't care you know, if it's an addiction specialist, substance use disorder specialist. I don't care if it's a, somebody that's working with someone in senior living. If you're attached to the outcome and you're using it to get them to an outcome that you think is best for them, it is fundamentally not as close to motivational interviewing regardless of the skill set you're using you can do reflective listening and open-ended questions all day long and that does not make it motivational interviewing Mm -hmm. that could make a relationship sales that can make a motivational manipulation but it is not going to score as motivational no not at
1: all
0: yeah i'll just jump in here that there also is this kind of thing you're getting at casey that's really powerful which is what bias are we bringing to the table And, you know, we're talking about pretty simply here, it's not our area of expertise of implicit biases, but the research would say and and help show that we all have some degree of bias walking into a human interaction, you know, in the uh, motivational interviewing and manipulation podcast, we talked about, you know, you especially got deep into how we're egocentric beings, we operate from our perspective, and we got into that. But there's also just these implicit biases that we can be, especially unconscious biases, we can be uh, unaware of. Um, and then we justify certain behaviors as to, well, that's antisocial, you know, for the family or something, so therefore I'm right and I have a social justification to use MI in this way uh, to get them to change. And ironically, you know, someone like Terry Moyers has a quote of um, something to the effect of MI cannot be used on people, uh, only with people, due to its autonomous nature. And therefore, um, there is this kind of bias that's happening that we're all bringing. And it sounds like we got to be aware of this, whether we're a peer advocate, a social worker, a healthcare worker, or a salesperson how much is my bias just am I bringing in and what am I really intending to do? Am I intending to focus on their values and help resolve their ambivalence? Or am I trying to make it about this product to get them to buy into this product and sell and tell and, and that sort of an approach. So there seems to be a bias that overlaps, even if you're in a helping profession or sales. And so I'm curious for you and Tammy to kind of talk about that of, of, where is where are the similarities and where might be the differences of really wanting this person the best for them but still maybe having biases that aren't motivational interviewing and how that crosses over into sales and then where sales kind of takes that to another level if you could kind of talk to that if that makes sense at all
2: yeah well there's a couple things that i'll do so i mean, I keep going back to every every time i'm gonna say is motivation like should it be whereas MI with sales, it doesn't, MI and sales do not go together. So I'm just going to, I'm going to say that a hundred times throughout the podcast. MI and sales do not go together. So it's not, they're not parallel in that process. If I'm trying to sell you something, I am attached to that outcome. So that's, so we'll just say that. And I'm going to make the parallel. If I think you need to get into treatment because of addiction use, I am attached to your outcome. I'm telling you what your outcome should be that. So I'm going to parallel that construct and then go back to MI is not appropriate for sales. So that, I'm just going to continue to say that and operate from that perspective. What I will say is the tricky part about motivation reading, regardless of where you're coming from, if you're coming from a sales background, if you're coming from a, a, a behavioral health or healthcare perspective, is if you do the first construct in motivation and you go high empathy and you step inside the reality and you see what the struggle is, you can feel what the struggle is, your, you already said it, John, your writing reflex is going to want to solve the problem. Our product can help you and our product can be inpatient treatment and our product can be senior living or our product could be a new car. Like, so once we go high empathy, your writing reflex is going to kick in because you're human. You see somebody struggling, you're listening to their reality and their struggle from their perspective. And when you hear that struggle or see that struggle, your heart or your brain is going to want to fix it. Like, oh, I know the solution for this, or I don't want to see them struggle anymore. Either way, your writing reflex is going to get triggered, which is why when people go deep empathy, they get triggered into, once they feel that they understand this person, they wanna jump into problem-solving mode. So they circumvent and they jump past focus and go straight to plan and and providing that solution uh, or resolution for them. In motivational interviewing, what you do is once you're deep empathy, you've gotta go deeper into where does this person ultimately wanna go? So it's, for me, For me, it is beyond just change talk. It is what does the end result of change talk get them? What do they ultimately, ultimately want? This is why we started to work on through IFRC or with the way I do training is through that whole focus mountain concept. What are their deeper values? Mm -hmm. Then we can identify target behaviors that will start to align to get them to their ultimate values and ultimate goals. So for me, that's why I look at focus prior to developing plan. So... This is the part that, again, I can see the parallel when you're talking about between sales or the micro skills that we learn. So yes, you're gonna learn active listening in sales. Of course, you're gonna learn active listening in relationship sales. You're gonna learn active listening in therapy. Mm -hmm. Like those are micro skills. Those are are communication tools that that people learn and they master. And it's why I'm gonna continue to pull it back into, but what is your intention? Mm
0: -hmm.
2: What is your intention going into this conversation? Is it, is it to, not from your perspective, helping this person, it's from their perspective, what help are they seeing that they need? Not because I'm trying to, in a really subtle way, put it out there what they need, but then not have my fingerprints on it when I'm just trying to get them to buy what I want them to buy, whether it's inpatient treatment or whether it's family counseling or whether it's a, you know, a cottage you know, in a senior living community. Mm-hmm. It's how attached my outcome and how much of my fingerprints am I putting on there for me in motivational interviewing it's my fingerprint shouldn't be anywhere. This goes into a whole other conversation we've had, but when do I share my insights or my expertise um, or my product? Um, and my product can again, be an inpatient treatment facility. So when I breathe provide the information, it's when I'm empowering the individual as they're resolving their ambivalence and they're getting clear what their deeper values and goals are, then it's a menu of options of things that may help them get further down the path that they wanna go down.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and that's the empowerment piece. So there, it is the onus is on me at some point in time to share my expertise and my insights with no attachment to that outcome. My only attachment is for them to make the best decision that aligns with their deeper values and their deeper goals which is completely a decision that they make. It's not one that I, you know, I put a pretty ribbon around a specific decision that I want them to make. That's maybe an attached to the outcome and that starts to fall into the manipulation side of it.
1: Yeah.
0: So. Yeah, and that's, that's where, uh, you know, I'm especially curious hearing from you, Tammy, um, around how you navigate values. Um, because Casey, there is something to be said about what you just said that's very powerful, let's say. I, I I come from a relationship sales background and I know how to build rapport. And I'm learning the difference between not relating to someone but really being in their shoes, looking at it from their perspective and feeling their feelings. I got that done, I'm listening for their values, great. I'm now doing that. And then when it comes to, oh, so you really do want more of this peace of mind in the future, okay, well, I have this thing. And that that's where, like you were just saying, what. What you're doing you could still be doing this process up until that point and now you're having what you term that writing reflex to come in and that's where that could still make it salesy because you've done aspects of the relationship sales but now you're just using that process to have them decide this one thing but what you just said was so powerful because it's not about presenting oh i got this now product to sell you to fill your values it's to go okay Well, so it sounds like these things are important. You'd you'd really want some options because you're just stuck. You don't know where to go from here. We've just, we've uh, explored it and you just don't have any insights from here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so then you said, Casey, a menu of options. One of those things in that menu could be your product, your treatment, your, uh, you know, I don't know if you're a healthcare worker working with someone, some sort of uh, intervention that's been shown to help other people. And there could be some other things thrown in there for, in the case of sales, competitors. And there's this sort of product too, that's a, you know, in my head, it's a competitor, but you're giving them choice. And you have to, at a certain point, it sounds like you're saying give choices that aren't just your product to help them meet their needs. And as long as you do that, and, and I would I would posit that, especially if you do that with competitors in mind, you're going to concentrate the people that really want what it is that you have in an ethical way that aligns with their values. Not because you're trying to have this be the thing, but because you're trying to help them with an informed choice with a lot of options that aren't yours on the table all the time. So it sounds like that's such a critical piece of this puzzle that I've learned of sales. And so that's where I'm curious, Tammy, how have you used values in a way when you make those transitions and how do you stay ethical uh, in that for yourself?
1: Well, first off, I would say like, I think I I have a social worker's heart. I want to help people get where they want to go. And so my intention always is to help people get where they want to go. At the end of the day, I do know in the past, I did know a product that could be an option for them. I also knew there were so many other options that they could choose from. And, and although I love this product, it's not necessarily going to be a match for them. So ultimately, I love motivational interviewing because it puts the autonomy back on them Yes, make the right choice for them. And you can help them navigate all these thoughts, feelings, and ideas they have towards change. But ultimately, it's their decision. It's their choice. And it's their life that they have to choose what's going to be best for them. Now on, on the sales side, it's hard because you have to detach yourself and you have to go, you know what, I'm okay with whatever outcome happens. I am. And, and that's okay. Like if they choose to come here, great. If they choose to go someplace else, awesome. As long as they, they're going someplace and they they're going towards something that's happier and healthier for them. That was how I always kind of navigated that. Um, But as far as the values go specifically, I think the values are such a critical piece because who doesn't want to live in alignment with their values? And so just bringing awareness back to a person's personal values, I found to be just helpful because people get lost in the decision-making process of, oh, I mean, you and I, you and I get lost in the decision-making Yes. Problem.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: It's around Christmas time. We just went through yes. the biggest loss of decision-making process time at Christmas because you get so enamored by these cool new things that you want to buy them all. And then later on, you're like, why did I buy that? That's not even that important to me.
2: No. Yeah, <laughs> that's it.
1: And, and so I think with, Anyways, with my experience, that's also why I love the values because it helps people align themselves back with what they want and what they want out of life.
2: Well, and and for me, this ties. I, I just this it is drilling into those two core constructs in terms of informed choice um, and the writing reflex because I learn from working with people that are raised in sales. But when do we convert and close? When do we convert it to a sale and close? When do we convert it to a sale and close? So. Okay, now that we've got it, when we convert them and then close it, because that's just the mantra that you're taught. But that is no different than how do we fill the beds in our treatment facility? It's the same thing. Like, how do we convert and close? How do we get them in? How do we get them in? How do we get them in? It's why there's a bias and a stereotype against people outside of the addiction world, especially if they're struggling with addiction, of thinking basically that people in the addiction field work on commission. I don't care what I tell you. At the end of this assessment, you're going to tell me I'm an addict and you're going to tell me I need treatment because it lines your pockets. I have heard so many people with addiction say that. So what do you think people that are older adults are going to say? I know that you are biased because you want me to come live in your community and take my money from me.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It's, I mean, the basic construct of informed choice is exactly the same. One of the things, honestly, John, that helped me to not only in listening to the owner talk about why I started the company but in one of the things that um, um, Tammy's old boss had said that based on the data is that people that end up in the right level of care at the right time end up living on average seven years longer. And how that translated, and this just, I was such, such, such a foreign, I never was drawn towards working with older adults. I've always worked with you know adolescents, young adults, children, families. And what was startling about that, the way he explained it, was that usually people end up in skilled nursing facilities because they end up hospitalized. They wait way too long. They end up in a catastrophic health event. So they end up in the hospital. From the hospital, they end up into a nursing home. And from a nursing home, they don't get out of the nursing home. Um, So, but if they end up with the right level of care, like independent living and then assisted living, and they have all these supports and health, um, social interaction and health, opportunities around them, they live on average seven years longer. And it's like, that just makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I would wanna know that so I could make an informed choice instead of thinking, well, I'm not going to a nursing home to die. I'm too young for that. Um, But if somebody could help me understand and help me go through my own ambivalence, that it's like, God, that's something I might choose to do way before skilled nursing. Mm -hmm. If I didn't have a strong family support, if I was fairly socially isolated, if I wasn't eating particularly well, all these things were in place if i chose if i wanted to have a longer life and a better quality of life i didn't even know that was part of the thing that was part of an option for me and and looking at my finances that that's an option for me to live longer with a better quality of life i definitely want that That totally lines up with my values um and that to me is informed choice then and i didn't that was just so foreign to me but honestly that's also not what was necessarily being sold because it wasn't sales. It's how many units do we have open and we need to get people in those units. Same thing with the addiction world, you know, except for, and and what helped me so much in this process from a values-based perspective is if you have an exceptional product or a highly needed product, you shouldn't have to sell anything. It's how do you get the right information to the right people so they can make an informed choice. There has never been a shortage of people in beds in, in inpatient treatment facilities. There's always a waiting list because there's a very high need. So it's the same thing when you crosswalk over into to senior living. If you have an exceptional product and people genuinely live longer with a better quality of life and a lot of data coming out from customer satisfaction surveys are, I wish I would have came in earlier if I would have known that this was an option. And you shouldn't have to sell anything.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So so again, motivational. meaning is not a sales technique. There's, it doesn't even reflect, resemble anything. There is not one thing about motivational interviewing that is related to sale, but there's micro skills in communication that are similar. And if it is a values-driven approach to help individuals resolve their ambivalence, so their behavior aligns with their deeper values and their life goals, then those communications fit in any conversation where that's to be had. So so I'll keep saying that. No, no motivational interviewing in sales. Um, yes, there's micro skills that are similar. We should all actively listen and have empathy, but you're going to have to, if you're thinking MI, what I'm always thinking of is the purity of informed choice and managing my writing reflex. Um, and the more you can provide informed choice and manage your writing reflex and the desire to fix, the more you're going to be in an MI zone, whatever place that you're working in.
0: Ooh, I really, really like that. As so we're coming to a close today, purity of informed choice. Oof, that could we got to unpack that even more? I love that. That's wonderful because that taps into so much of the two major things, seemingly, that we've talked about of our theme today. Tammy, you were talking about, well, I have this heart of a social worker, I have these intentions going into it. Casey, you were speaking to that as well. What are my intentions going into it? And if my intentions are to make it about the what or how product I have and a closure or a sale, that's different then if I'm making it as much about them and overly about them then anything I have to serve them. And then in that process, I might bring something up. How and when I bring that up is related to the writing reflex, like you were just talking about, Casey. How and when, what's the intentionality? And does it include a variety of options and some of those maybe even being competitors? So, that you are aligning this person with the right sorts of things that they're going to stick with over time that they chose in that process. No different than with diabetes medications or diabetes approaches with lifestyle medications uh, and approaches. Which are you biased towards? And how aware are you of these biases? And how do you do that? And when do you do that? Is another key piece of this. Not just your intention before, but your intention during and throughout. And that purity of informed choice, I think, is just so transcendent across so many helping professions i think that's really helpful regardless of it calling it sales or not how much are we trying to sell people on improving their health or sell people on getting them into all sorts of things i just think that's so powerful
1: and i love really really to- it that way too because everyone's selling something you know Yes. If you're, even if you're selling you know get healthier be fitter you know again that's you're selling something so i yeah i just liked how you said that
2: you know, what I'm going to wrap it up with, and I know we try to keep these non-seasonal specific because they're just podcasts, but we happen to be right around the holiday season. And the way that I'd wrap this up most succinctly, specifically with this topic is Miracle on 34th Street is the original one. My favorite with Santa Claus is, you know, he's working for the department store. They hire, him, but all he does, he is definitely not attached to sales. It's Santa. But when kids sit on his lap and he's saying to the parents, you know, you can get a cheaper fire truck down the street from this store over here, his line got longer and longer and longer because people just want to hear the truth. And Santa was not attached to any outcome. Did it improve their cells ultimately? Oh my gosh, exponentially. Does it improve our outcomes in hospitals and addiction clinics and mental health, you know, agencies? Absolutely. Because if we provide the right service to the right people at the right time, our outcomes improve. And so I just think of Santa on. Miracle on 34th street, he's sitting there with kids sitting on his lap, doing what he loves to do and things around him get better and outcomes improve. And I think that is somebody that we've, at least from a spirit of Christmas believe, you know that's somebody that's incredibly altruistic, not attached to any outcomes and just providing people the right information at the right moment in time based on their requests and their desires. And, and to me, that's the closest thing I can get to of
0: pulling us all together. Yes. And that is the difference between service and sales. I think that's really what we're talking about. Seth Godin is a mastermind of, of this sort of world. And I'll leave also with a quote from him that the future of business is about not competition with each other. It's about the service and the contribution to other people. And if that's what you can make it about, right person, right place, right service, right time, as you were getting yeah. at you see that's then the future of what ethical sales, ethical service for all of us, I think can be.
1: Okay, I know we're trying to wrap up, but I have to, <laughs> to, to your point, Casey, that's exactly what I noticed when we started implementing um, this process in our communities because what person doesn't want to seek out to find someone to talk through their true ambivalent feelings about something that's emotional and hard for them to discuss.
0: Yes.
1: So when you find someone that's truly going to be a service and be there for you and help you navigate all those thoughts and feelings without pushing you in any direction, all of a sudden, people lined up at our door. Yes, Literally, I can say this, I was working, people lined up at our door. And it was just the craziest thing. But the coolest thing, because it was no longer. And you know, our philosophy wasn't to sell sell. But it was just people lining up to say, I want to be a part of whatever you have going on there. and i want
2: somebody that'll have a conversation with me so i can work through this
1: exactly exactly so anyway sorry just had to add that
0: we're coming to an end too that also foreshadows into other uses of of mi out in the world that people have also asked about with mi and politics and other things we can get into if you're interested uh ultimately that whole world is supposed to also be about service but uh, we could get into all sorts of stuff like that as well in the future if you're interested Um, and how to approach this. Hopefully this has been worth your time. Uh, We are the MI guys here, trying to really be the communication solution to change your world. And hopefully today has done that in any sort of small way. We'd love to hear from you for questions, comments, any specific scenarios, topics for us to dive into and work through. Uh, uh, That email address to send that is casey at ifioc.com. And you can send things there. And there's obviously IFIOC.com for our website. We have our membership for any of you that are interested and aren't already a part of that. Please spread it far and wide to those that are interested, not out of sales, but out of service. (laughs) Um, And uh, so we can make more of an impact together. So hopefully get to see you again soon. And thanks for your time. Take care.
1: Thank you. Thank
0: you.